You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice, and ideas, helping businesses and governments prepare for the future. Oh, hi, everybody. I'm really excited about today's podcast. You'll obviously be aware that we are two years on from the brutal murder of George Floyd and the whole Black Lives Matters movement commencing. And we really did see across the world a real uprising and challenge against racism and demands being made for change in terms of increasing equality for Black people across the world. So I'm really excited to be joined today by Ed Cox. And Ed is the Executive Director of Strategy, Integration and Net Zero in the West Midlands Combined Authority. Ed has an extensive background in tackling regional inequalities through roles including heading up a leading think tank in the North. Ed grew up in Birmingham. He's the son of a GP. And some may say, stereotypically, he's a white middle-aged guy, but I know him as a really, really great guy. So welcome, Ed. Thanks, Yatunde. Um, And it's really great to be doing this podcast with you, a real privilege. Um, Yatunde, I know, is the chair of the new West Midlands Race Equalities Task Force. That's how I've come to know Yatunde. And I know that she's an incredibly busy person, not just in working hours, but in the evenings, at weekends as well, because uh, her main role is as head of Trous and Hamlin's Midlands office. So it's great to be doing this podcast with you. Um, Yatunde is a qualified solicitor, specialist in housing law in particular, and she is a Nigerian woman. And I guess you could say stereotypically, uh, has always been a black woman. And that's uh, wonderful too. So a great, if you like, opportunity for us to have a dialogue from our different backgrounds. Uh, One of the things that I've learned about Yatunde is that she grew up in foster care and uh, particularly in the care of a white family. And that, I think, is something which perhaps is a bit of a link between us. It really is, Ed. I mean, I couldn't believe it when just through our general conversations when we first met through the task force, really, and you shared with me that your family had adopted a black child, a black girl. And to me, you know, it's not often that I come across people who have either shared a similar experience in that they're, um, they're black and have been either fostered or adopted by a white family. But certainly I just buzzed when, you know, mm. when you said that had been your experience, because for me, it just opened up a completely different conversation. And I recall just talking to you about that. And we're like, yeah, we're supposed to be talking about the task force. <laughs> <laughs> Yatunde, tell us a bit about your experience growing up in foster care in that way. Do you know, I was really, really lucky. So my fostering was a private arrangement. I think my parents kind of thought that it would only be for a short term, but my foster parents were just amazing. They had fostered all of their lives for Bernardo's. um, And I think it was, they were onto about 52 children all different colours, creeds and backgrounds and heritages. Mum and dad didn't care. It was just a case of, you know, they had so much love to give and that if they saw a child that needed love, they would give them love. So interestingly, not only were my family, my foster parents white, they were also quite elderly. So my mum at the time when I went to live with them, uh, mum was 60 
and I was a one-year-old baby and I, I, I don't know many 60-year-olds, I guess, that would take on a child full-time at that age. I know obviously we live in a time when grandparents are doing a lot of the caring nowadays, but they get to hand the kids back. So that was something unique. I feel that I didn't lose out um, in any way. And, and probably it gave me some of the skills that I've drawn upon throughout my career, to be fair. And, you know, mum and dad, I thank them for everything. And my natural mum and dad, I was really lucky to have. It's still in my lives. And um, uh, they've now both passed away. But, you know, it made for just an amazing, amazing mix. So, Ed, what was your kind of experience? Well, my experience is that I'm, I'm the oldest of four children in my family so I was about 11 I think when my parents decided that it would be good for us to adopt a child and I think my dad was involved with adoption policy at that time as a GP and I remember my sister being introduced to our family to start off with she was only three at the time so there's an eight-year age gap between us and I have to say so my sister's from a black background and I have to say there was nothing unusual about that whatsoever. It was it was really exciting that um, I uh, we were adopting a black sister, and so I've grown up and lived all my life with a black sister, and it's absolutely fantastic. Um, I think growing up, it made us think hard about culture and difference and diversity, and I think particularly as an adult, I've become more and more kind of concerned about the way in which it's just so obvious how people are treated differently depending on the colour of their skin. Uh, so it's really made that something that has been a topic of conversation, a concern that we've been able to sort of experience through our family all the way through. But it's also been nothing but a joy to be part of a more diverse family, I think, than might otherwise uh, have been. That's amazing. So George Floyd and the impact of George Floyd, goodness. I go back two years ago and, you know, I can take myself back to the moment when I saw the video and just the pain of, oh my God, not again. I mean, it was just, it was absolutely awful. And I just remember, you know, everywhere I turned, there was a conversation, whether it's within my WhatsApp groups and, and so on. And it was traumatic I think that's the only way I can describe it um and I just remember we were doing a lot of uh, work at the time around Covid and we we're having some conversations and I remember just saying do you know what enough <laughs> enough enough uh, people were asking me for answers from different companies and I was just like I can't give you the answers and I just said you know what I can only try and influence what's in my control you know, when you just feel like you're spinning out of control. And I said, you know, I can only influence what's in my control. And I just said, you know, I have to start with the environment around me. And so that's when I had a, a, a conversation um, within my firm. And I can't even say that it was difficult. I think I came from a, 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 a and I don't know um, how the person on the receiving end of the conversation felt. But for me, it was just like, you know what, you've just got to hear this it's enough we've got to do something and you know I'm proud of the way that Trowers has responded to that challenge and there'll be an opportunity for, for me to share a bit more about the work that we've been doing I'm sure as we we go along but you know one thing is that they responded 
Two, they didn't shy away from the difficult conversations. And three, they've just said, we've said as a, as a collective, we need to address that. And two years on, I'm happy to see that, you know, action is happening. And, you know, you've heard me say this before, Ed, I want everything done by Tuesday of next week. I know that can't happen. I know the changes that are needed can't happen immediately. But for me, following on from the murder for this man and so many others not to have died in vain and for the 400 and odd years prior to that and slavery and all the millions of people who have died. It's about bringing about lasting change and that will obviously take time. So, I I mean, what impact did it have on you, Ed? I think the immediate impact was just straightforward shock I don't think any of us that saw those pictures when they kind of came through particularly on social media and on the news and 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 so on felt anything other than just completely you know outrage at at what we were seeing and I I guess you see all kinds of terrible things that are sort of shown from the states (laughs) Uh, and and but it it doesn't um, undermine the shock and I think the kind of um, the brutality that we saw I think I knew almost instantly and the way in which it was communicated by social media I knew almost instantly that this was going to be an event a death too far and that the mm. things were going to have to change the question was just what exactly was that change going to look like and how was that going to affect you know again beyond the United States you know the whole world and I think it was quite mm. incredible really so I wasn't surprised that there was shock and outrage. We all felt that. But I think what was amazing was the way in which it became a global movement. And I I think personally, despite the background that I've just described with, a, I think, a level of awareness about diversity and inequality in society, you know, something that I've worked on in my career for many years, I think what it did for me was to really bring to the surface this notion of white privilege I think again it's something that I've been aware of but to put a name on it to raise our awareness to make me realize that there's something that however incompetent I feel I need to do about it if you see what I mean that that I I can't just sort of stand by and say oh you know we need more justice we need to tackle inequality Um, there's something about uh, my own actions that need to be addressed that that I think has been deeply affecting and I've read books which have I've found particularly challenging I go to church we've had lots of very I think difficult conversations about the way we run our community centre the way we uh, the way we do church and the changes that need to be brought there and then kind of professionally at work it's really fed through into um, the way in which the West Midlands Combined Authority has been sort of thinking and 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 working, I think it has galvanised those uh, black and minority ethnic communities uh, or colleagues, um, and they've been absolutely fantastic. I think in terms of challenging the Combined Authority about different issues, but. It also, I think, had a particular bearing on the mayor and the mayor's thinking, um, particularly in the run up to the mayoral election last year. And it was, I think, very compelling that he first put in his manifesto and then once he was re-elected, made it absolutely clear that he too 
felt that there was more that needed to be done in the West Midlands in order to tackle race equalities. And so it was through that that we established the Race Equalities Task Force. And there's been a lot of thinking that went in originally to sort of what that Race Equalities Task Force needed to look like and how it was going to work. And uh, in particular, who was going to chair it as well. And I'm absolutely delighted that after a lot of deliberation and careful thought, I think we have picked the most fantastic person yet and then to lead it and, and and so far so so good and you know it'd be good to hear from you a little bit about perhaps what it was like to be invited to pick up that role uh, and and subsequently you know what you've been trying to do and, and how you're beginning to steer that race equalities task force ship so to speak oh thank you so much um i remember it well to be honest it was just before a a half term and I think I was focusing on getting ready for half term and colleagues being off and I remember getting an email and 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 somebody saying to me I need to speak to you and I was just like yeah after after the half term break if that's all right and it was like no I need to speak to you now and I met with the official from the combined authority and um I'd kind of obviously thought about oh this is a bit odd I don't know this person and I think um I thought it you know was going to lead to being asked to be involved in some way but I in my wildest dreams didn't imagine that I'd be asked to be the chair and I and I recall getting quite emotional because for me it it's a big responsibility and you know with what I've said previously about there've been in a way, so many reports, and I guess stagnation. We'll, we'll, we'll do something. Yes, we'll do an inquiry and we'll prepare a report, and then nothing changes. And so I, I've been vocal all along that you know I want this to be action focused. And yes, I appreciate that it has to be driven by the data. But for me, the most important thing is around the action. And so, what's interesting about it is obviously. You know, the West Midlands is a massive area. And what's more exciting is that all of the local authorities that that make up the combined authority um, have fully backed this. And that was also extremely important to me. And interestingly, this only has influence over the areas that are within and come under the combined authority. So that's economy. Uh, health and well-being, skills and education, housing and homelessness, transport and connectivity, and to an extent, criminal justice. But I see that as the pebble or the stone that's thrown in the water and that it will have a ripple effect. And for me, that's how I see the change being driven. It, you know, it starts with the combined authority, but it rolls out then to the private sector to the third sector that everybody sees that um, you know this change needs to happen and people and organizations challenge themselves about what they can do to bring about the action that's needed so it's not a small task force as you know Ed it's up to 30 people and that was just like oh my goodness where are we going to find these people and so we set about in uh, advertising and then as much as I tried to get out of it by saying oh my goodness I am, you know, just so busy with that day job. But then I decided, you know what, actually, I need to be involved and to see who, you know, I need to be comfortable that these people are the right people because we cannot afford to get this wrong and we are going to be quite rightly scrutinised. So we set about interviewing over 
a number of weeks and the process went really well. We had some really great applicants and we asked a lot of them in terms of either doing a written submission or a video submission and so on. And I'm really pleased to say that at the end of that, we have a great task force. It's diverse in its nature in terms of gender, race and other protected characteristic backgrounds. But also what was important, not only all of those things to make sure the community was fully represented, but also to make sure that the region itself was represented. So we had to make sure that you know, we had representation from the different local authority areas and, and we've done that. And so in terms of what we've done so far, we've had a couple of meetings, obviously, against the backdrop of COVID. Um, so there's been a couple that have been online and then there was a very exciting one that happened in person. Um, I know, I, I came to that one and the kind of the buzz in the room was just electric, wasn't it? It was absolutely fantastic. The, the amount that I know, the expectation, if you like, and uh, and the ideas and the, the people from such amazing different backgrounds. Yeah, it was, it was really great. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think I was a bit kind of like, wow, I can see this working. But do you think, Ed, just to delve into the combined authority itself, do you think the combined authority itself is doing enough to tackle race inequality? I mean, I'm not sure that anybody is doing enough if you see what I mean but but to, to kind of pick up the exact question that I, I know I don't think we are doing enough as a combined authority I, I, but let's be clear we have committed to starting a journey in fact I would say we've been on a journey but we're committed to ramping up that journey um, more and more and I think the fact that we have established the race equalities task force that you've just described is a significant step or turning point in that in that journey so I think that's really really important um, but I think it works at different levels as well my sense is that you know our action so far hasn't turned the dial even internally so there's a conversation we need to have about the way in which um, our the makeup of our organization um, reflects the diversity of the region and again you know we're doing relatively well we have a more balanced representation at some levels of the organization at some pay levels but critically uh, we don't have that representation at the kind of higher pay scales and and so that is an issue you know that that reflects society as a whole and it's something that we've got to keep working on we've started some great work with colleagues who have come together in what we call the race for equalities group um, and the race for equalities group have, has started to really consciously challenge internally the organization the way in which we include uh, support the development of black and minority ethnic colleagues and and how they work up and through and with the organization uh, and we've done things like you know, just last week uh, we had a fantastic workshop for the whole organization looking at um, ethnicity and mental health and the relationship between the two and how which was quite practical into what can we do more to support the well-being and mental health of people from black and minority ethnic backgrounds in within the organization so there, there are small steps that we're taking but it works on a more strategic level as well and I think this is where the race equalities task force comes in um, to its own which is really to ask some big questions about how we develop change across the whole region and you know we've we've begun to think about that you've mentioned already areas like 
transport and housing and health inequalities where we have a little bit of traction in terms of the work that we do, the investment that we make. And I think seeing that through a race equalities lens is really, really important. So we're starting to to do a little bit more of that. And that's where I think we need to be challenged by the race equalities task force. And that's what I'm expecting them to do. And yeah, we're ready for that. We're ready for that. And I think you're right. I, you know, the combined authority is no different to any other organisation if it's honest with itself and looks at the senior leadership kind of levels. So what I'm excited about is that I, I'm really hopeful that people will, will across the Midlands, West Midlands will get involved. Um, yeah. And I certainly I attended an event this week that was sort of grassroots community engagement hosted by Brig um, and it was just really interesting to just sit in the room and listen and really also challenge the community as well about there are ways that communities themselves can get involved so there was a lot of conversation about getting onto boards that ask after George Floyd I, you know I've got a lot of <laughs> a lot of calls asking do you know people who would like to get on boards and so on you know, that is a great position to be in to be able to understand how different organisations work and also to have some form of influence over that in, in terms of looking at inequality and bringing those issues to the fore. So that bit will be really interesting. And I think um, ultimately we will be accountable to the, the communities that we serve. And I think one thing that I touched upon was around that data and we have commissioned a baseline report and we're just working our way through the findings of that and that will start to influence our our work as the task force itself. Um, And so Ed, what do you see as the next steps for the region as a whole? One of the big opportunities that we've got coming up is this new devolution deal that's been presented to us. This comes in the context of um, the government's levelling up white paper that was produced earlier this year. And levelling up has become a really big topic for the nation, really, hasn't it? And um, people might have heard Michael Gove and the Prime Minister talking about the idea that talent is spread equally across the nation, but opportunity isn't. And I think the whole notion of levelling up has got to do with how we if you like, rebalance the way in which opportunity is spread across the nation. And very often we talk about it between kind of north and south, don't we? You know, the differences between London and and everywhere else. But uh, there's also big differences, disparities within regions. If we look at the West Midlands, you know, there are some much richer places and some much poorer places. I think, you know, there's a 10-year gap in life expectancy between um, one part of Birmingham and another part of Birmingham. So you know, there's there's some real challenges around what levelling up is about, but what the government hasn't done so much, but I think we're keen to explore um, within the West Midlands is, um, if you like, uh, the way in which those inequalities play out between different communities. So what is the uh, intersection, if I can use that word, between different places that are unequal but also different groups of people. And uh, that's where I think there's some really, really important and interesting work, again, that the Race Equalities Task Force can support, which says 
actually, let's not just look at levelling up from the perspective of which place needs more investment or which place needs this power devolved or that power devolved. But let's also think about it from the perspective of, um, of particular communities, particular ethnic groups and backgrounds. So we're trying to do that fairly systematically. And I know, Yutunde, you've been really keen to to push that. So you might want to say a little bit more about what the Race Equalities Task Force role has been so far um, in relation to this devolution deal that we're trying to develop. Yeah, so obviously um, we're formulating, or the Grand Authority is formulating what it's going to go back to government with and to ask. And, you know, that first meeting that you came to, Ed, was around that, was around mm-hmm. um, how how do we ensure that race inequality features in that ask, you know, that the ask that we go back to government with addresses those race inequalities. And you're quite you're quite right. I think, you know, there's been a lot of conversation around BAME and the lumping of people and the lumping of backgrounds and the lumping of communities can be quite useful if you want the stats to look good. But then when you drill down to them and you talk about the different experiences of those communities, they're very different. And Mm. I think that really is the challenge that, you know, that we treat, we treat communities as individual communities because they are all so different. So we fed into that. And I think, you know, the task force was like, wow, okay, this is, this is happening. So we worked very hard on the various areas that I mentioned that the combined authority has influence over. So as I mentioned, you know, transport, connectivity, housing, homelessness, skills, education, health and well-being and the economy. And we really sort of, you know, challenged our way of thinking, for example, in relation to housing, we build a typical type of housing, but that does not account for communities who like to live multi-generational. Why is that? you know what what's the reason behind that how did that even become a thing we place so much on home ownership when we know that for certain communities it's going to be just so so difficult to obtain so it will be interesting to see what comes out from that but that is an important piece of work and I know from the reports that I've had the conversations are happening uh, and they're very 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 fast-paced even this week we've been challenging colleagues to say okay so what is your ask of government around housing and affordable housing for example or you know how we tackle some of the real problems around the quality of private rented housing how do we play that into government and how do we bring a race lens to this when we're having our negotiations with government about these issues similarly on topics like air quality we know that the black and minority ethnic community are more severely affected by pockets of poor air quality so if we're going to do a devolution deal that um, is going to give us more powers and responsibilities to be tackling air quality it needs to have a race lens as we look at that and there are other areas as well things like digital inclusion and digital access again we know that there's a real if you like link up between certain communities not having good digital access in the west midlands and certain places that aren't well connected as well so we need to be making sure that all of the devolution propositions that we're putting before government have that race lens so we can really bring that to the fore in terms of the, the arguments that we're making and the and the, and the powers and uh, flexibilities that, that hopefully we'll receive as part of that, that devolution deal. I mean, this has been a great conversation. I think we've got exciting times ahead. I think there's a lot of work to be done, but I feel really 
positive that this opportunity is being seized upon and quite genuinely so not for just because people think well we need you know it's not a knee-jerk response I think it's been a very well thought out response and I'm really really optimistic and I'm really really hopeful that we'll be able to look back and be able to see that we have played a role in improving the opportunities for the next generation and improving the possibilities for our diverse communities so Ed I really really want to thank you for taking time out of your extremely busy day to come and talk to me today. No well it's been an absolute pleasure Yatunde and I want to thank you for stepping up and taking time out in your incredibly successful career to do this particular role as chair of the race equalities task force i'm very very open to the challenges that you'll bring and i know that my colleagues are as well and we're really looking forward to really working through the practicalities of what are these challenges going to mean for the west midlands combined authority at this very exciting point in its relatively young life but uh, at this significant moment so thank you for all the effort and insight and challenge that you're bringing thank you You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at Trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.